Hi, this is Robert Furrow, and welcome to TruthQuest Podcast. This is our Q&A, where we look at questions through the lens of Scripture. Our desire is to know what God's Word says so we can know what to believe. Sola Scriptura, Scripture alone. Bible says in 2 Timothy 3.16 that all Scripture is given by the inspiration of God, is profitable for reproof, for correction, for doctrine, that the man of God would be thoroughly equipped, lacking in nothing. Everything we need comes from the pages of Scripture. And I love Psalms 12, 5 and 6, or 6 and 7, which says that God preserves His Word from generation to generation. His Word is like gold purified by fire, and He preserves it from generation to generation. So we have the promise that what we're looking at today has been preserved for us. If you're joining us here for the very first time, it's really good to see you guys. You can begin to fill things out uh, you can begin to fill your questions out in the comment section below. Just per, put the word question uh, in front of it, and then after that, you can, uh, it's really funny, I'm, uh, there it is. Okay, never mind, I'm okay. I thought I was gonna have more technical difficulties today. Um, it, it looks like everything's uh, squared away, had some technical difficulties on Wednesday. We had, to, I just rebooted my computer after an uh, update. <laughs> Imagine that. Um, okay, so um, you put the word question, in the comment section, write out your question, read it a couple of times, make sure it makes sense, and then go ahead and submit it, and we'll take them in the order that they come. It's good to see you guys logging on here. We have people that will be joining us from Facebook, from YouTube, Daniel, good to see you uh, there as well. I hope you guys are having a great day, and I hope that uh, we can take a look at some of your questions again uh, through the lens of Scripture. So we've got our first question already loaded up and ready to go. And it has to do with prophecy from Matthew 24. And it says, Will the generation that sees Israel's rebirth also see his return? Matthew 24, 32 through 34. And then I have this uh, set up and ready to go ahead and take a look at. And uh, so here uh, we are in Matthew 24, and this is verse 32. It says, Now learn a parable from the fig tree, when its branches have already become tender, and, and puts forth leaves, you know that summer is near. Now, many have in the past said, the fig tree is Israel, and certainly, at times in scripture, the fig tree is. But in Luke it says, learn a parable from the fig tree and all of the other trees. The idea is that when you're looking around and you see the things of the end of the world start, and we've got a lot in the Bible that tells us what the last days are going to be like. What, um, for non-believers, they'll be lovers of themselves and not lovers of God. They'll have a form of godliness, but they won't have power. They'll deny the power. Um, earthquakes and just all kinds of things that we can talk about a little bit later on. But so people will go to this verse and say, well, the, the fig tree was born again in a day as Isaiah 11, I think it's 11, 11 says. And so Israel is the fulfillment of this. So the generation will not die that has seen Israel become a nation. That happened in 1948. Um, then it was said that a generation is a biblical 40 years, right? So you had a 48 to 80, you got 88 minus seven years, you got 81. And um, then it, it was thought that it was when Israel took control of Jerusalem. That was the budding forth of the, of the branches. So that would be 67, you had 40 years, and you get 2007 minus seven years, and you get 2000. Of course, if you are a Christian during those years, you know that a lot of people were setting dates during those times. Uh, the truth is, let's just say there that this is the right uh, interpretation, that the fig tree is Israel and that generation will not pass away. We would say we probably have 120 years anyway, which would be 2067 uh, before we would say that time would run out. Personally, I don't believe that this fig tree represents the nation of Israel. I think it represents the end times. It represents that when things start to happen, it's going to happen fast. It's going to happen soon. It's going to happen quickly. Look at what verse 33 says. So you also, so when the fig tree sprouts forth, you know summer's near. Now here's the analogy. That was the analogy. So you also, when you see all things, all these things, notice it says all of these things. Um, so you also, when you see all of these things, it could be a total accumulation of all of the things that we had before in, uh, in Matthew 24. 
wars and rumors of war, ragings of seas, Israel surrounded by armies, which seems to be a double fulfillment, a fulfillment in 70 AD and a fulfillment at the end um, of time when the battle takes place outside of Jerusalem. Um, so when you see all of these things, uh, verse then verse 33, so you also, when you see all of these things, know the time is near the, at, at the door. Assuredly, I say to you, this generation's will, just generation will by no means pass away until these things take place. Now, we're starting to see all of these things happen right now, and I don't think that we were meant to give a day for a countdown. God did that in the Old Testament. We knew the Messiah had to come before the destruction of the temple, but that we, we don't have anything in the, in the New or Old Testament that gives us those kind of dates. But we are to look around us. We're to watch and know the times. And so many people today aren't watching. They don't believe in Bible prophecy. They don't want to study it. But more and more now, it, it's catching on because we see this global um, one world government coming back together again, globalism being pushed, that being talked about in the Bible. We see technology that is only around today or has only been around really in my generation. There are certain technologies that had to be in place to fulfill certain scriptures. So um, that's... Uh, the, the answer then to the question, and I want to go back here and take a look and make sure I answered the question correctly uh, or completely. Will the generation that sees Israel's rebirth also see his return? The answer to that is maybe. We, we do know that we're looking for all of these things happening at the end of time, but whether or not the fig tree is Israel or not, there's some really good solid Bible teachers who believe that, and then there are others that look and go, Matthew makes a reference to not only the fig tree, but all of the trees, which could be all of these things happening in all of these different places. All right. So thank you very much uh, for your question. Uh, we have a question now from Renee. Uh, Renee says, she comes to us from Facebook, by the way, Renee, good to see you. Um, Renee says, um, good afternoon. Why do you think some pastors say that COVID is judgment, a plague from God for the world. And if you have it, you're not a Christian or a believer and you're looked down upon while others say, this is not real. What are your thoughts, pastor? And God bless you and your family. Okay, so the Bible says that in the last days that, that God, um, that there, there's gonna be an increase of birth pains and one of those birth pains are pandemics. Uh, so we would see an increase of them. God talks in the Old Testament, and I wish I could remember where exactly the verse was, but he talks about sending swarms and pandemics and earthquakes as a judgment. And when COVID started, all of these things were taking place. Everything that that passage talked about I think it said earthquakes, maybe it was something else, but everything that was in that passage is talked about. So I think that certainly these things are there to remind us of judgment, for sure. So when some pastors say that COVID is judgment, it's to remind us that judgment is on its way and these things are like birth pains and maybe COVID is some kind of judgment upon this world, that we don't know. However, the second part is, can I say this, crazy to think that when someone gets COVID, now they're not a Christian, as if no Christians have ever gotten COVID. And if you have it, you are not a Christian. And I don't want you to necessarily put it in here, the comment section, but I would love to know what churches are teaching that because that is just as absolutely bizarre as possible. I mean, there are churches that teach that if you get sick, you don't really have faith or there's sin in your life. Um, if it was sin in your life that caused sickness, then everybody would be sick because all of us struggle with sin and need to ask forgiveness and God to do his work within our lives. And um, getting COVID is not a sign that you are not a believer. All right, Renee? So I'm not sure where that came from. I would love to, to take a look at that. But I do know there are passages that talk about pestilences as being a judgment from God. And um, we did a hot topic early on in, um, in this pandemic. And um, we looked at that passage and asked the question, is God beginning judgment on this world? And does this pandemic speak of that? And the answer to that, I think, is maybe. There's a, there were a lot of stuff going on. There were swarms um, of locusts throughout the different parts of the world 
when, when COVID first started. And uh, the Bible talks about that as judgment as well. All right. Um, God will judge this world for, for sure. Okay. So thank you very much, Renee. I appreciate your question. It's good to see you. It's good to see all of you guys. Hope you're having a great day. If you're new here, if you have never joined us, we want to welcome you. Uh, we get questions from YouTube and three different Facebook pages. Uh, you can write out your question in the comment section, write question in front of it, write out your question, read it a couple times, make sure it makes sense, and then go ahead and submit it. And um, we'll take them uh, in the order that they come. All right. Uh, so uh, JG, good to see you. Hope you're having a great day. Do you think that there are relics in the modern day or through the centuries that has had healing powers from God like Paul's apron and handkerchief did in Acts 19.12? Thank you. Thank you, JG. I appreciate that. Um, yeah, there were some other things too that happened with the apostles like when Peter, they put, they put the sick out onto a sidewalk where Peter would walk by and his shadow would fall upon them and they would be healed. I think the important thing to realize here is it takes a couple of things. Some kind of a contact with an apostle and faith. So having faith that this apostle which has healing powers and it seems like all of the apostles had the ability to be able to heal, that they had the gifts of healing and faith in them so Paul could send out a handkerchief. Um, I, I don't believe that you can buy a handkerchief for $49.95 or these days $149.95 or a rope with a knot in it that's got a special prayer from the television evangelist on it or from whoever's trying to make his money by selling healings to people by, by these gimmicks. I think that they are, they are wrong. God does heal today um, and there are no apostles as in the 12 apostles when the New Jerusalem comes down on the footing, on the, the foundations are the 12 names of the 12 apostles. So there are no more apostles. And so the gifts the apostles had are not guaranteed for today. And if someone has this ability to be able to heal everyone, um, and, and it's been pointed out that gifts of healings is in the plural in both of them, gifts of healings. So that the idea would be that God gives the gift of prophecy but God gives gifts of healings to people for different points in times to heal certain people that they themselves don't carry that gift all of the time. That's at least the way that I understand it. The healing is always God and not an individual. That's important to understand. And um, I don't think that there are any objects that hold any kind of healing power. And I, if you run into that, it's like when you get a notice, when you get a, a, a call or, or a message is left or you get an iMessage or a message on your phone and it says, you're, you're the first place winner. Click the link below. Don't click the link below. As much as it might sound like good news, it's not. And when someone says, buy my handkerchief that's got my handprint on it for $149.99, don't buy that handkerchief. Don't encourage them. Don't allow them to continue to take money from vulnerable people because that's what these people do. All right. So no, I do not believe there are any items today that have healing power in it. I believe God has the ability to heal and God does answer prayers. And sometimes God give gifts of, gives gifts of healings to an individual. And that's 1 Corinthians chapter 12. All right. Thank you, uh, JG, for your question. I really do appreciate it. I hope you're having a great day. Um, Let's see. We'll come back to your, your question again, um, JG. So JG's got another one here. Um, nope, it's, it looks like the same question that got uploaded twice. So never mind. I won't come back to it. Uh, we have a question here from Jari. Jari joins us from YouTube. Jari, good to see you. Hope you're doing well. Jari says, how long were Adam and Eve in the garden before temptation? We know God is patient, waiting for redemption, but isn't Satan the opposite and impatient his fall and theirs was swift, thanks. Um, so Jari, we don't know uh, how long they were in the garden. We assume it was not that long because Adam and Eve were together and they had no children. And because they were brought together by God and married, then I, we, we assume that they would have had sexual relations and they would have had a child had it been too long. So I think that's why um, we could say that it happened quickly. 
As far as Satan not being patient, um, I don't know, maybe he's pretty patient when it comes to tempting certain people. He's waiting for the right time. The Bible says that he left Jesus to come back for a more opportune time. And maybe Satan is waiting for just the right opportunity to be able to take someone out. Um, however, I, uh, and we don't know how long Satan had fallen, right? We do know that he had, that there's a snake in the garden and there, seraph is, a, is the word for burning. And so a seraphim was considered to be a burning one, but a, a poisonous snake in Hebrew is also called a seraph. And there were seraphim and many scholars believe that they were serpents with arms and legs that were angels. And, and that that's why Satan was in the garden and, and tempted there. Um, but he had fallen wanting to raise his throne above God's throne. And um, so we don't know the timing for when that happened, but we don't think it was very long. All right, Jari, thank you very much. I appreciate it. Um, as always, good to see you. We have a question here from Albert. Albert, how are you? Good to see you. Uh, always good to hear from you. I heard a pastor say that the four lambs David told Nathan the rich man must pay ended up being prophetic because four of his children ended up being killed. Do you agree with this connection? Um, Albert, I've never heard this before, so um, I don't know. Um, I would want to go back and I would want to look at Nathan calling David out. And um, what I do know is that after David's sin with Bathsheba, it seems that his family was never the same. And it seemed like David had this grieving the rest of his life um, and the loss of Absalom and, um, and his other children. Uh, so, yeah, I've never heard of that. I, don't, I would want to find a connection between lambs and children. I would want to see where you might be able to find that connection. And sometimes people can find, you know, bogus connections to something. But um, little lambs, God calls us lambs. His children end up dying. I'm trying to think if you could stretch it to try to really make that fit. And I don't think so, Albert. I, I think unless I'm missing something, which I might be. Um, so I will, if I can remember, I'll take some time to take a look and compare this. I find it very, very intriguing and interesting. I'd love to take a look a, a little bit closer to it. Um, off the top of my head, for whatever that's worth, I'm going to say I, I can't think of anything biblical on this particular thing. So I don't think I would say I would, I would lean towards no, that that's not a type of that. But, you know, maybe we'll be surprised with all the types that we find in the, in the Bible. All right, so thank you very much. I appreciate that, Albert. As always, it is good to see you. Um, you know, coming, coming back to Albert's question for just a moment, thinking about, thinking about David sinning with Bathsheba, and that's why Nathan came to him, and then David's response out of anger, because Nathan told him the story, remember? Nathan told him the story of a, a man that had a pet goat and a neighbor that had lots of goat goats and the neighbor with a lot of goats uh, ended up killing the neighbor's pet goat. And this was an analogy of David having several wives, but taking Uriah's wife to himself. And um, David pronounced death on him. And I really wish I had that passage in front of me. I'm, I'm going to take time to look it up because David, David said that man shall surely die and I think repay fourfold. So I'm going to take a look a little bit closer at it. I'm still a little bit doubtful, but the more I think about it, the more I think that, that those two passages really are, um, really are connected. All right, so we have um, a question from Gary. And Gary, um, good to see you. Good to have you here. If you're new here uh, to our Q&A, we want to welcome you. Uh, we take questions and we look at them in the lens of Scripture. Uh, this is our Q&A. My name is Robert Furrow. I'm the pastor of Calvary Tucson. And we do this twice a week. Um, so first of all, uh, the question from Gary. Gary says, how do you know when God is talking to you and it's not just your mind talking to you, talking you into something? Um, yeah, this is a difficulty and something that all of us as Christians have to deal with. Um, I'm going to go one step further. How do you know when it's you? 
How do you know when it's God and how do you know when Satan might be tempting you? And does Satan have the ability to put thoughts into your mind? Is that what the fiery darts are that he shoots with us? He certainly has the ability to manipulate culture so that the, the, what's going on in culture is going to enter into our minds, but he may have the ability to be able to put things into our mind. And I think, well, when I think of that, I think of Jesus telling his disciples, who do men say that I am? They said, some say you're Elijah, some say you're Jeremiah, some say um, you're the prophet. Um, but who do you say that I am, Jesus said. And Peter said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus said, blessed are you, Simon, for flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my father in heaven. So was it Simon that came up with that idea? It wasn't somebody that told him about it. It was God who had revealed it to him. And then Jesus went on to talk about his death. And Peter took Jesus aside and said, may these things never be, Lord. You know, God, I'm the one who hears from God. And Jesus said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. So now Satan was hearing, now Peter was hearing from Satan. So how did he know it was from Satan? Or how did he know if it was from himself? Or how did he know it was from God? The answer to that has got to be the Bible. If God is going to speak to you, he's not going to speak anything to you, first of all, that is outside of what the Bible says. It's not going to tell you anything anti-biblical. So why when somebody says, well, you know, I, I, God spoke to me and he told me to steal that. Yeah, but the Spirit says not to steal. I mean, yeah, the Spirit through the, through the uh, Bible says not to steal. And so we can apply that principle. Um, now, there are some things that are not in the Bible and not spoken of against the Bible. They're just kind of neutral things today. And people say that they heard from God. How do we know that it's from God? I would say you have to pray about it, make a decision, walk by faith if it's not really obvious, um, whether or not God's speaking something to you. I do know a couple of times in my life when God has spoken to me and there's nothing in the Bible to verify that. But you really can't use that as um, at, you, you want direction coming from the Bible and God speaking to you, your still small heart, or speaking to you in a still small voice. Not your still little small heart, but speaking to you in a still small voice. Uh, and then you prayfully make a decision based on, on what you heard. My example is when we were in Albuquerque and I was a youth pastor in Calvary at Albuquerque and I had my own business. And we felt the call of God in our lives to go and start a church. And Tucson was brought up to us from Skip Heitzig, the pastor of Calvary in Albuquerque. And he sent us out. And I believe that God said, I'm going to send you here. Even though there was some confusion in the beginning, I believed it was God and it came to pass. And um, had it not happened, I wouldn't have been disappointed, even though I said, I believe that God has told me this. Even when it didn't look like it was going to happen, my friend said, I thought you said God told you you were going to go to Tucson. And I, and I said, I do believe I'm supposed to go. I wouldn't have been heartbroken had I, had I not heard from God because I don't always hear from God. And I'm not perfect when it comes to hearing God speak to me and knowing what's right and wrong, but the word of God is. So you want to make sure it always follows in the characteristic of the word of God. God's not going to ask you to mistreat somebody, be angry to somebody. Um, God's not going to ask you, God's not going to do things like that. So often people say God told them something that they want. You know, they meet somebody, God told me we're supposed to get married. Um, they like somebody else that somebody else is, is dating. God told me that we're supposed to get married. You hear these things, they're substituting what they want for what God says. So you've got to kind of examine that. Am I just thinking this because it's what I want? Or is it something that God wants for me? Some things are very easy because, and if you get it wrong, there's no problem. Because if it's like, go and show this person a special act of kindness. You could find in the Bible where it says, be kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another. And so you can go and you can do that. And if you missed it, hey, no problem. But if the Bible, if you, you believe it's telling you to do something that seems to be contrary to the nature of God, contrary to scripture, um, then there's a real problem. And we do see in this kind of like um, natural revelation stuff uh, that goes on, that there are a lot of people that come up with weird things that God told them. And um, I could pretty much hear sometimes when people say that, no, God didn't tell you that. You think God told you that, but it wasn't God who told you that. Uh, that, was, uh, that was yourself. 
All right, so thank you very much, Gary. Uh, glad you're here with us. It's good to see you. Uh, we have a question here from, uh, from uh, Nelson. Uh, Nelson has a question. In John 6, verse 37 through 40, I use it to witness to people that you cannot lose your salvation. Is that biblically correct? John 6, 37 through 40. So I'm pretty sure I know what passage you're talking about, but let me go ahead and pull that up here. Uh, John 6, 37 through 40. Let me go here, find this, and then I will put it up on the screen for you and we'll all take a look at it together, um, starting in 37. Yeah, all right, so let's take a look at this. Um, and let me just see if I can get the context here a little bit. I'm trying to remember what John 6 is. All right, so Jesus is talking about himself being the bread from heaven. All right, so let me go ahead and pull this up on the screen and we will take a look at it, um, Nelson. So, um, so here it says in verse 37, all that the Father gives me will come to me. And the one who comes to me, I will by no means cast out. For I will come down from heaven not to do, for I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. This is the will of the Father who sent me, that of all he has given me, I shall not lose uh, nothing, but shall rise it up in the last days. And this is the will of him who sent me, that everyone who sees the Son of Man and believes in him may have everlasting life, and I will raise him up on the last days. All right, so um, yeah, let me go ahead and get back to your question here, make sure that I get it answered uh, properly. So um, Nelson, yeah, I think as we take a look at that, as we take a look at that passage, I don't know what happened to my passage on here, but as we take a look at this passage, yes, um, it does speak of believing in God. So who did God choose to give to Jesus as those who were his, those who believe in his name? And we see this throughout scripture. John 1, 12 and 13 says, as, um, as many as receive him, he gives the power to become a child of God to those who believe in his name, who are not born of the will of men, but the will of God. And then they are born again. Jesus, of course, in John 3 talked about being born again. So those who are his are those who believe. And I believe that when you make a genuine commitment, you really believe and you are transformed and there may indeed be false conversions and there can be people who look like they're Christians but are not Christians. But when you genuinely make a commitment to Christ and you believe that I believe that there is security, I believe in the perseverance of the saints and I believe that Jesus is talking about that. I, I don't think that he's saying that God chose this person to give to Jesus as his. I think he's saying anyone who believes has been given to Jesus as his. And, um, you might not like that. You might not like that God gives an opportunity for anybody who will believe in him to genuinely be saved. But that's what the Bible teaches us. And I do believe that these verses that you brought up, Nelson, do speak to us of that, that genuine salvation that's a transforming power, being born again by God, and that when that person, if that person becomes an apostate and leaves, they will be brought back again. Jesus will leave the 99 and he will go after the one if you indeed have made a genuine commitment to Christ. All right. Um, know as well that this is a controversial topic and there are good, solid teachers on both sides of this issue as to whether or not you can lose your salvation. I used to believe that it was very, very difficult to lose it. But once you did, you can't get it back. Uh, but I, I no longer believe that for several reasons, because if, if someone becomes an apostate, every apostate would not be able to be saved again. Um, and I do believe that there are those that have so much information, reject, 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 reject. They look like they're saved. They gain more information, but they don't really ever make a commitment. And, and they cross a line where it's impossible to renew them to repentance. All right. So um, and Nelson, if I didn't answer your question there, um, then you can ask a follow-up. I believe that this is a good verse to talk about um, 
Jesus keeping all of those that were given to him. And it talks about those who believe in him being those people. It's not a good verse to talk about irresistible grace or limited atonement, which is that God chooses some and doesn't choose others. And that that person has to be given by God. It's not a matter of them believing, but it's them being given to by God. I think that's a misuse of that passage. All right. So thank you, uh, Nelson. Really appreciate that. It's good to see you. If you're new here on our Q&A, we want to welcome you. Uh, we hope that you guys are truly blessed by the time that you spend here and uh, that God would move in your life and your heart. We have a question here. And if you have a question, if you're just joining us now, we want to welcome you. This is Truth Quest Podcast. You can subscribe anywhere you get podcasts from. Just look for Truth Quest Podcast with Robert Furrow or Truth Quest with Robert Furrow and you'll be able to find it. Uh, you can listen to our full-length teachings, our hot topics, and also our Q&As where we take time to look at any question. Um, we look at um, apologetics, prophecy, Christian living, questions about the Bible, um, anything that is laid upon your heart. Uh, write the word question before your question, put it in the comment section, read it a couple of times to make sure that it makes sense, and then go ahead and submit it. We have a question here from John. Uh, John says, I know Christians cannot be possessed. However, can they cause physical harm? Follow up, how can we tell if when something bad happens, it is a chastisement from God or simply something bad? Um, yes, Christians cannot be demon possessed. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. You as a Christian are already possessed. You are possessed by the spirit of God. And therefore, a demon cannot be inside of you. Now, it seems like God does allow Satan to be able to cause physical harm to Christians. We see a spirit of infirmity that Jesus cast out of a woman. We see Paul talking about a thorn in the flesh that was given to him by Satan that God used to keep him humble. God had a plan, a purpose for allowing Satan to cause the thorn in the flesh for Paul, which Paul calls an infirmity, which is, uh, which is being infirm, right? We get hospital infirmary, right? So he's infirmed. He's got some kind of an illness. It's a thorn given to him by Satan, but God wanted to use it for humbling. So God wanted to use it for good, even though Satan wanted to use it for evil. And you find this principle several places in the Bible where someone might have a test by God and God wants to bring out the good, but Satan wants to use it for bad. Or Satan may be allowed, like in Job's case, to bring some kind of sickness, but God's going to be glorified from it. And um, the Bible does say, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things pass away and everything becomes new. Um, the, the Bible also tells us that if we are in Christ, the evil one, that the evil one can't touch us. And um, I think I added a couple of verses together there, by the way. Um, and so I believe there's great confidence. Jesus told Peter, Satan's been asking for you. He wants to sift you like wheat, but be of good cheer. Or no, um, but, but um, I have prayed for you. And when you are restored, strengthen the brethren. And so he was asking for him. He was going to be sifted. But God had a purpose for good. Satan had a purpose for evil. And so sometimes God uses what the enemy wants to do for good to be able to bring good things about. All right. So um, I and, and if that's the case, then God's allowed that for his purposes. And I don't believe Satan can do anything. God's got his hand on, hand on the thermostat all the time. And Satan can't do anything in my life unless God allows him or I cooperate with him. And um, Lord, please help us that we don't cooperate from the devil and do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one, which is a prayer that we're supposed to be praying every day. All right, so thank you, John. I appreciate that. Um, certainly, we know that we have victory over Satan. And in the end, we will have that victory. We also know... Um, uh, so we also know that the gates of hell will not prevail against us and, and that we are going to be effective at winning people out of the kingdom of God. We do that with the gospel of Jesus Christ. All right, John, thank you very much for your question. I appreciate that. 
Um, we have a, another question from Be Real, God Can See You, which I like. Be Real, God Can See You. Um, yes, thank you. Um, so good to have you here. If this is your first time, we want to welcome you. Uh, if you have a question, write the word question, then write your question out and we'll take a look at it. Um, do people who've sinned a lot keep getting ongoing consequences from God? The Bible says, be not deceived. God is not mocked. Whatever a man sows, that he's going to reap. And we also know that our God is a God of grace and mercy and forgiveness and that we can be forgiven of a sin and yet have consequences from that sin. And, and I think I could make a case that God can also rescue you from the consequences of your sin as well. He might not. You might have the consequences of your sin, follow him and have eternity. Your sins could be forgiven, um, but, I, but God could step in, forgive your sins, and, and then what your sin will be forgotten and there won't be consequences. But I don't believe there's anything in our lives that we, we should be able to say, I'm gonna do this and because I'm a Christian, I'm gonna ask God for forgiveness, I'm not gonna have the negative consequences in my life. I think we're gonna have naked, um, <laughs> naked, naked, uh, negative consequences in our lives uh, because of um, the fact that if we sow to the flesh, from the flesh we'll reap corruption. And if we sow to the Spirit, from the Spirit we'll reap life. So God help us to be able to sow to the Spirit that we can reap life and really walk in the consequences of doing the good things that God wants you and I uh, to be doing. But God does not always take away the consequences from sin. Um, I'm not even sure I would want a world where that happens because you might have somebody who's done something awful, really bad, and they will end up in prison. God is in has complete and total wisdom uh, when it comes to things like this and we can trust him completely. So yeah, I do think there's still consequences to sin. I think that God could intervene. There's no reason you can't ask him that he could take away the consequences from some sin in your life. Uh, we have another question here from Wayne Rockin' Red Dillinger. So Wayne, um, good to see you again. Hope that you're really blessed by the time that you spend with us today. Uh, we, uh, uh, if you have a if you're, you're new here, you have a question, write the word question out, then um, write your question out, reread it a couple times, make sure it makes sense, and then go ahead and submit it. So um, Wayne says, uh, good afternoon. Uh, good afternoon, good to see you. How does one know for sure that they are saved if they continue to fall into sin and keep asking for forgiveness? Um, I think this is a really good question and one that a lot of people will end up struggling with. Uh, we know that if someone sins against us, seven times 70, we're supposed to forgive them. God's more gracious than any man. And I believe that if a person repents sincerely, calls out to God, that God will forgive them. And if repeated sin could not be forgiven, then none of us would be forgiven because all of us have had some kind of repeated sin in our lives. So God's grace and mercy does forgive it all. Um, the question is, does it become a practice? Is it a practice in sin? So Galatians 6 tells us that those who practice such things are not going to inherit the kingdom of God, giving us the works of the flesh. And so we don't want to be practicing them. We might find ourselves through temptation or having a weak spirit like Peter, pray that you don't fall into temptation. And we could talk about ways that we can battle temptation and walk away winning, delighting ourselves in the Lord so that God gives us the desires of our heart. God changes our desires. So often we're delighting in this world so that um, we end up wanting, desiring the things of the world and those are what we end up getting. And so when we truly do really delight ourselves in God, then we can overcome temptation. So there are those who could sin so much that they would not be, that they're not genuine Christians. They, it, the continued sin, practice of sin, reveals that they haven't made a genuine commitment. If anyone loves him, if anyone is in Christ, he wants to keep his commandments or he keeps his commandments, 
Uh, otherwise, um, we don't. So there is some nuance to this question, um, Wayne. I think that we could say, just strictly to your question, how does one know that he is saved for sure if they continue to fall into sin and keep asking God for forgiveness? I guess, are you contrite? Are you broken? Do you want to get rid of the sin? Do you keep coming back to where you want to get rid of it? And I think that if you do, then you know that you've committed a, a, yourself to Christ. I think the non-Christian would say something like, I don't care. I'm going to do it anyway. And I don't care that I did it. I'm going to do it again. Lord, forgive me. And we know that that's not sincere. And we know that that's not genuine. And that's not something that is forgiven by God. It's got to be that genuine, sincere heart. It's not just simply saying, um, Lord, I want you in my life. But it's, um, it's actually meaning it and applying it. And then there's a radical change. And if you can't see that fruit, then I would say uh, that you have no idea whether or not you really made a commitment to Christ. And if that's the case, then I would say call out upon his name. Surrender your life to him wholeheartedly. All right. So thank you very much, uh, Wayne. I appreciate the question. It's a, it's a good question. And it's something that we all have to deal with because all of us at times have sin that we have in our lives, something that we've done more than one time. So we've got to make sure we have things right. And that we are broken and contrite before God. And then we're going to know if, if you just sin and go, ah, it doesn't matter to me. Ooh, that's a scary place to be. But if you're broken and contrite over your sin, then I think that that's what's going to help us to understand whether or not we've made a real commitment to Christ. All right, so um, Ocean Discovery. Good to see you, Ocean Discovery. If you're new here, uh, we want to welcome you. Uh, uh, Osha, Ocean asked a question. What are some ways that prophecy either through prayer or from the word can be relevant to day-to-day -day living? Um, thank you very much. I appreciate that. I'm thinking a lot of prophecy is relevant in my life for day-to-day -day living because it has helped me to know that I believe what is true. For example, Isaiah 9, 6 talks about a child being born, a son being given, his name being called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father. That child, the fulfillment was Jesus. And that prophecy helps me to walk with him uh, because of that confidence that I have that the Old Testament tells us that God's going to become a man and there's going to become a child who is going to be born uh, that I believe is a messianic prophecy. I think of um, the prophecy in Daniel chapter 7, which talks about the Messiah coming um, from 483 years from the time the command goes out to restore and rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. And that gives me great confidence in the Word of God that I can dive in. The Word of God is it's, it's not simple. It is complex. And that's important for us to understand. The principles are simple. We want to go in and find the truth, but God wants diligent seekers who are there. And having that confidence that prophecy has been fulfilled helps me to study God's word and to know that God's word, what God's word says is what he means and that we want to live wholeheartedly for it. Um, I also think Jesus's words about prophecy. When you see these things start to take place, look up for your redemption draws nigh. I think these things are, are starting to take place in our day. I think we're living in the last days. I think Israel being under Israeli control again is a big sign of the last days. And that should change the way we live. Jesus could come back at any moment and we're seeing these signs in the last days. Uh, we see that the church doesn't tolerate sound doctrine, doctrines of demons, um, are being taught and accepted. Men are stacking up teachers who will tickle their ears. Scoffers has a, have arisen in the last days. Um, and so all of these are prophecies that help us to know how we are to live now. Um, so I think, gosh, I think of Isaiah 53. I think of Psalms 22. Uh, I think of so many prophecies in the Bible that help me today and where I am at today. So that's how they're relevant to me and I think should be relevant to every believer in modern day, um, modern day Christianity. Remember about two thirds of the Bible are prophecy and about one third is already fulfilled and another third is to be left. Those are rough numbers, but to be left to be fulfilled uh, as well. 
Okay, so thank you very much, Ocean Discovery. We really appreciate uh, your question. Uh, we have another question from Albert. Um, let's go ahead and bring that in here. Albert, good to see you again. Albert says, thank you uh, for your answer, Pastor. In a commentary by Pastor Tony Evans, he said that the deaths of David's infant child, um, um, Ab, okay, uh, yeah, the death of the child, Absalom, Adijah, he also loses a daughter, by the way, um, were prophetic in the suffering he would have. So I take it, Albert, that this is a follow-up from your question about the lambs being connected. Absolutely love Tony Evans, okay? Um, he is on Reach Radio. We have a, uh, a radio station here in Tucson called Reach Radio. Tony Evans is one of our teachers that are on there. Um, I definitely want to look into it more. Um, and to see what the connection is. And um, maybe maybe you can get me, maybe you can take a picture of this and um, email it to me um, so I can take a look at what he says. Albert, I would love to take a look a little bit more at it. Um, so, um, yeah, I would like to take a little bit more at it and see. Um, I just have I have some questions. I'm like torn with it, all right? But I am interested in it, Albert. If you could um, maybe give me a little bit more. I guess I could take a try, time to try to look up uh, Tony Evans and um, uh, Tony Evans and um, and see whether or not I can find that particular question. So we have a question here from, thank you very much, by the way, for that follow-up. Uh, we have a question from Tony and Tanya. So question, our children have some friends who identify as gender neutral and want them to use certain pronouns. How do you advise our children to handle this situation? We teach our children to love everyone, but not accept everything that people do. Thanks. Um, Andy and Tanya, thank you very much. Um, yeah, we're gonna be running into more and more of this. Uh, and our kids having to deal with it, what a, what a drag that that is the case. They are definitely trying to push this more and more in the schools. And I hope God has mercy on us as a nation. I think that these kind of things are signs of the times that we are to live in. And these things become just really bizarre. Um, and so I'm, I'm, I don't know that I'm gonna give you direction on this. I don't know what I would tell my younger children about how they should respond um, to that individual. It, it certainly opens up a big conversation with you and your kids, doesn't it? You gotta sit down and have that conversation of why someone might think that they're somehow a different gender than what they are, um, which is crazy because they are a gender. And even though they might, you know, they think or, or believe the culture that they're in a different body. Um, how do you advise our children to handle the situation? Uh, yeah, I would say walk in love um, with them. Uh, try to explain it to them. And um, boy, I'm gonna I'm gonna leave it to you. I need to I need to put this one in the cooker a little bit more and think it through whether we want to be directing people to be responding. I mean, I don't, we don't want to be, we want to be loving. We want to be open. We want to be able to share Christ with people. And so if I know someone is a he and wants to be called a she, am I going to call them her and she? And um, this doesn't happen a lot in the circles that I'm in. I realize it happens more among the schools. And so, yeah, I, I'd, I honestly don't know. A part of me wants to say, yeah, out of love, go ahead and do that. Out of love and a hope to be able to share the gospel with them, let them go ahead and do that. But what I'm scared of is the confusion that your child might have with what's taking place here. So it means that we all have to have conversations with our kids that we never really wanted to have with them. And um, I pray that God gives you wisdom andy and tanya about how to deal with your children on that and um I'll, I'll think on that a little bit more put that in the old cooker and see but sorry not to be able to give you just 
a direction I think that's uh, a difficult place and yeah, you have to make a prayerful decision on what God would have your children do and it might be different, right? You might have one family and God may say, go ahead and because God knows he wants them to have a relationship and win them to the Lord and the answer might be different for someone else. I don't know that we can paint with such a broad brush for everybody believing the exact same thing. All right, so sorry I'm not more helpful, Andy and Tanya, but I really do appreciate uh, your question. All right, so again, uh, good to see you guys. If you're new here, we wanna welcome you. It's late in our Q&A when we have the most viewers. And so a lot of you guys that are checking in to watch this, this is Hot Tom, this is Truth Quest, a podcast. Our desire is to know what God's word says so we can know what we believe. Sola Scriptura, the Bible alone. And um, so we're looking at questions through the lens of scripture. Uh, and we have a question from Annika here. Annika, it's good to see you. Annika says, is it possible that Lydia and the other women praying at the river in Philippi weren't allowed in the synagogue? Is there some other reason you say there is no synagogue in Philippi? Well, I think that number one, archeology, span hasn't found a, um, a synagogue, as far as I know, from that time period. Um, also, it took a certain number of Jewish men for there to be a synagogue in an area, and we know a lot of areas didn't have them, and so that's why we assume that these Jewish women were meeting and worshiping down by the river. Lydia heard the gospel from Paul. Paul shared with her, um, and God opened up her heart and she received the words that Paul said. Um, but to answer your question, no, I don't, I don't know. I, I, I know of scholars who will talk about Philippi and will talk about them not having a synagogue. I don't know all the reasons behind it. So I'm fairly confident that that is a correct statement. And um, we believe that that's why these women were down by, you know, worshiping um, down by the river there in the book of Acts. All right, Annika, good question as always, and good to see you. We'll see you a little bit um, later on. Um, all right, let's go ahead and bring in Nelson here. Nelson, good to see you again. Um, Nelson says, question, I have a friend who believes in modalism. He really believes what he believes. I have broken down the Trinity to him. He rejects it. Is he saved? Even though it's a false Jesus. Modalism has problems. So for those of you who don't know, modalism is when you believe that there's only Jesus. And the Father, Jesus becomes the Father and becomes the Holy Spirit. And, and, and so when, when, when God is Jesus, the Father and the Holy Spirit don't exist. When he's the Spirit, the Father and the Son don't exist. When he's the Father, the Holy Spirit and the Son don't exist. There are problems with this. Uh, and it is teaching something different than what the Bible teaches, which is God in three persons. Um, I wanna do a, a, a hot topic on modalism. I do believe that it is, is not the same Jesus and I, I think that uh, other teachings that come out of modalism, that you have to be baptized in the name of Jesus, uh, when that is not said in the Bible, uh, that it says they were baptized in the name of Jesus, but we're told to baptize in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And um, so, yeah, I think that you're doing the right thing there, Nelson, and that modalism is not true. And I, I will come out with a hot topic here pretty soon. It's one of the things I'm doing some a little bit more research on. Um, and that, you know, as far as whether or not someone's saved by what they believe, there are people who can believe things wrongly and still be saved. God's the one that judges that. Um, when it comes to believing a different Jesus, that's a false Jesus. That's that's difficult, especially when you're teaching a false Jesus. And uh, so modalism is definitely a problem. I'll look to answer your question a little bit better in a hot topic, Nelson, um, but it's a good question. All right, so thank you very much. Uh, if you're new here, we wanna welcome you guys. We hope that you are blessed by the time that we are spend, uh, that we spend looking at questions through the lens of scripture. Our desire is to be on a truth quest, not an I'm right quest. 
We want to know what the Bible says so we can know what to believe. And we've got to rightly divide the Word of God. There may be areas we disagree on, and that's okay, but we want to have the Bible be that which uh, brings in what we believe. So we have a question here from Kevin. Kevin says, uh, question, King Solomon went to heaven, correct? Because some of my friends said it's questionable because he was led astray by his concubines and wives into idols. So Kevin, that is an absolutely correct statement. He married all of these women, some close to 300 of them. He built idols, uh, temples for them in Jerusalem and was led away because of that. The wisest man ever was led away by accumulating wives and because of accumulating wives. Um, I think that his statement is questionable is correct. We do know that he wrote the book of Ecclesiastes and Ecclesiastes talks about all of his searching. And then he says, serve God while you're young. And so as Ecclesiastes written after, we learn about Solomon in, um, in, the, in the history books of the Bible. And if that's the case, then he was saved and went to heaven. And if not, then he didn't. I kind of think he did just from taking time to especially read um, Ecclesiastes. Uh, but Solomon definitely had his problems and having 300 wives led him into sin just like polygamy does so often and did so often in the Bible. All right, so thank you very much, Kevin. Great questions today. Uh, good, challenging questions. That's good. Um, all right, so we have a question from Stephanie. And Stephanie says, question, when are names written in the book of life? So there seems to be several different books that are used when it comes to salvation. So the Bible talks about a name being blotted out, that maybe there's a, a book of life and everyone who's lived alive has their name in there and then their name is blotted out. The Bible also talks about names being written. And so a name would be written there. I would assume that our names would be written from the very beginning. That God knows those of us, God through his foreknowledge predestined us. God knows those of us who are gonna be saved. He knows that we have genuine commitments to Christ, that we're gonna live uh, genuinely, wholeheartedly for him. And so um, I would think that, you know, I mean, we. I don't know that the Bible answers the question, Are the, are the, is our name written when we are saved? Is our name written after we die, you know, when is our name written up in, in heaven? But I would assume there's a possibility that it's written long before because God knows those who are his, those who will believe because of God's foreknowledge. God knows and can tell the future. All right, Stephanie, thank you. It's good to see you, by the way. I think you are um, first, uh, first time questioner, right? First time you brought up a question on our show. Uh, it is good to see you, all right? Uh, so, um, just going to take a look here and see if we have any more questions. Uh, we have a service in two hours. I'd like to invite you to it. Um, I'd like to invite you out to our service in two hours. Uh, we are going to be looking at uh, Luke chapter 14, and we're going to be talking about what it means to carry the cross. We're going to be talking about the Christian commitment level, and Jesus speaks to this, the, and 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 he gives us some ideas of what this commitment is supposed to look like. Because I think we could say we're supposed to be sold out, but we get some really good pictures as to um, what commitment looks like completely and totally. All right, so I wanna go ahead and give you an invitation to that. Um, I want to bring in one more question, and this is gonna be our last question for today. If you wanna keep writing questions, write question, Reread your question a couple times, make sure it makes sense, and then go ahead and submit it, and we will add it to a future uh, Q&A, all right? Unless you get back on and ask it earlier next time. So God bless you, Pastor Robert. God bless you too. Yvette, this question comes from Yvette. How do you feel about people who believe in, in culture healing in the um, diverse population of having faith in God healing all ailments? So I've got to admit, Yvette, 
I'm not familiar with what you're talking about. So there's people who believe in cultural healing in the population, having faith in God, healing all ailments. So I'm not sure what your question is. Uh, I would love it if you join us again, maybe write it out a little bit better if you have, I know there's a limited amount here, um, but cultural healing, yeah, I'm not sure. I'm not sure whether you're asking whether our culture needs to be healed or whether there are ailments within people and then there, there is a culture of healing that takes place. God heals some and he doesn't heal others. I don't know if that answers your question, but maybe we can get some clarity on that in a future Q&A. All right. So it's been really good to see you guys. I'm glad you're here with me today. I appreciate you. I pray that you guys have been blessed. Stay close to Jesus. Our desire is to know what God's word says so we can know how we are supposed to believe and what we're supposed to do. All right, so God bless you guys. We'll see you next time. We'll have a Saturday Q&A. We have a service tonight and we'll have a service on Wednesday night as well in the book of Philippians. So I'm gonna go ahead and sign out. God bless you guys. We will see you uh, later.